I'm here to talk to you about remembering who we are. Remembering who we are. You know, we are in an age defined and shaped by crisis. And we, this week, this past week, which has felt like a decade, which has felt like a century of crises. And in the face of crises, we tend to forget what is critical. I mean, a crisis instills in us things like fear, things like anxiety. I mean, what are the crises of our age? I hear there was something called an impeachment. All right. But think about what was operating there for us. There was a hope that law would prevail. And good people of good conscience who were elected to office would abide by the law. And we're in a crisis point, in a crisis moment, where we recognize that the rule of law is not something that we can rely on. What do we do then? We're in a crisis of identity as a nation that no longer welcomes immigrants openly. I say this, I am a first-generation immigrant. I'll say it again, I'm a first-generation immigrant. I declare this in every space that I enter because I do not want to be afraid. I do not want to be afraid, but I have to admit, when the first Muslim ban happened, what was it, two years ago, felt like 50. And there were threats about taking away naturalization rights. Now, I've been a naturalized citizen since I was four and a half years old. I wasn't this tall, I was this tall, right? <laughs> and then I felt injected by fear. I had taken for granted the right of citizenship. And then something felt like a crisis in my identity and the crisis in the culture. What is I going to do? What am I going to do in a threat to who I am? Now, the word crisis comes to us from the Latin crisis, which means judgment. Judgment, which itself is borrowed from the Greek crisis, which indicates an act of separation an act of separation. I mean, if you think about the crises we're facing around racism and homophobia and xenophobia and other phobias, we feel the crises separating us from our hearts, separating us from who we are such that we are instilled with fear and we begin to forget who we are. Now, that is unconscionable. That is unconscionable. And I say this thinking about Black History Month and I think about the history of racism in the United States, this American project. And I offer you a definition of racism, which is the intentional compromise of the integrity of a people. The intentional compromise of the integrity of a people. Now sometimes that compromise can happen from a person to person. But when that compromise comes from the very highest offices and the very highest authorities in the land, 
you have to wonder what humanity is possible for us as people of color, as queer folks, as immigrants, as women. What integrity and humanity is possible for us? We are born in that moment of crisis and separation to a culture of cynicism, where cynicism is the separation of one's heart from the world. So it's ins the policies of, and I'm going to say his name only once, the Trump administration, are insidious for sure. But the fact that we have law and policy that inflict the intentional compromise of the integrity of peoples is an act of evil. It is inflicting unjustified suffering onto everyday folks. And we are, as we know, in a space like this, in a place like this, warriors for justice. And as warriors for justice, we come to fight not for power, but for those who suffer. We come to meet their suffering not just with anger, not just with bitterness, but I also implore you not to approach the suffering with cynicism, with your hearts separated from them. I mean, what is, who are the cynics in the room? Six honest people in a congregation. Six honest cynics. For all of you private cynics out there. <laughs> I mean, what's the lament of a cynic? It doesn't matter. It doesn't pertain to me. And that terrible one, I don't care. I don't care. For evil to be inflicted on us, for the compromise of the integrity of our people to be inflicted on us, and then to be punished twice, with cynicism, is torrential evil. I don't care. You know, we live in Oakland, California, where the homeless, the houseless crisis is just out of control. It is just out of control. And under bridgeways and on sidewalks, you see hundreds and hundreds of houseless and homeless folks whose dignity is not just questioned, whose integrity is not just compromised, but their humanity is degraded and demeaned. And it is very hard to attend to everybody. And you can feel your own cynicism walking there, like how do I get through the day walking by this degraded, demeaned humanity, but also attending to their suffering. So cynicism is not something that's easy to fight. The six of you will attest to that. <laughs> right. I mean, the cynicism of racism, cynicism of homophobia, the cynicism of injustice harkens back to that heartbreaking question posed by W.E.B. Du Bois at the beginning of The Souls of Black Folk, where he says, people come to you with these smiles and half gestures, and they ask you a question how does it feel to be a problem? How does it feel to be a problem? 
And we know that this is not just an everyday question, but it's a question of the culture that poses us to people of color, to queer folks, women, and so on, the poor. How does it feel to be a problem? And what are we going to do in that problem space? You know, to be in that problem space and problem place and problem identity is to absorb that cynical hatred that's been coming our way. And again, instills fear and instills anxiety, a concern, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And again, it instills a form of amnesia. We forget that we have the capacity to love. We forget that we have dignity, not just for ourselves, but in our peoples. Now, I say this at the beginning of Black History Month, because I am myself somebody who is not just indebted, but considers himself a steward of the black freedom traditions. You know, I said, I'm an immigrant. I would not be here standing in this pulpit speaking with you if it were not for the fighters of the civil rights movement and the black freedom tradition. I owe them a debt. I owe them a debt, and I plan to pay it off in spades. <laughs> I am a steward of that tradition, which means I have to attend to it. The black freedom tradition, of course, emanates from the experience of the peoples of African descent. But the gifts of the black freedom tradition are for the entire nation. I mean, amongst the extraordinary things that the black freedom tradition has gifted us is to say, in the face of impossible violence, of physical violence, of emotional, spiritual, and psychic violence, in the face of impossible violence, the response is one of resilience. The response is one of insisting on humanity in the constant questioning of their humanity. I mean, from 1619 to the present, things have gotten better and things have got, and stayed the same. White supremacy continues to compromise our integrity and our humanity. But the black freedom tradition did not say that the lesson of being less than human was our fate. Didn't, they did not say that we had to accept that fate. They did not meet it with cynicism. Black freedom tradition met evil with hope and with love. How many of us have the capacity to meet evil with hope and love? You know, my people, Koreans, we tend to go for guns and violence. But to not choose violence, but to choose peace, which is also to say to choose ourselves is a remarkable, remarkable gift. And the fact that the black freedom tradition did this, not just for black folks, but did it for all of us. You hear this? Did it for all of us. That moral witness 
that spiritual courage, that extraordinary excellence that says in the face of depravity, in the face of austerity, we can have something like abundance. And we can have something like joy. You know, to respond to evil is to rely not on the world as it's been given us, but it's to invoke the imagination. It's to invoke love. It's to say, there is more than this. This is not our fate. There is more than this, and we are more than this. We do not have to accept the lesson that we are less than human. Instead, what do we learn from the black freedom tradition? We are more than enough. We are more than enough. That is a statement of loving abundance, of an abiding joy. We are more than enough. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. I want to just begin to conclude. Um, you know, amongst the things that happened this week was the tragic uh, death of Kobe and Gianna Bryant. And I've been querying folks, not the least of whom are my son, Noah, about the effects of their deaths. To appreciate the legend of the figure and the person but also the complexity of that legacy. For some, it triggered the experiences of sexual violence. And for many, it triggered the tragic loss of excellence cut short, of magnificent, magnificence brought down in a prime. And I have to say that, you know, I. Of course, his death and her death, Kobe and Gianna's deaths were tragic, but it also reflected our own struggle with death itself. Yeah. I'm here, as I said, as someone who abides by the tradition of the black freedom tradition, which is also to say the traditions of radical love. And the tradition of radical love says what? You have to love yourself enough to let things die in you in order to live. Radical love says in the face of death, there's still hope and possibility. So we can say in response to the evil coming our way that considers our fellow human beings disposable. Think about that. Disposable like trash, and resist it, and insist on their humanity. Say, no one is disposable, that we have to let that part of us die to find redemption, to rediscover the worth in people. Because we are, as Christians, people who have learned the lessons of death. The lessons of death come daily. In reflecting on the birth of Jesus, we know what happens later on in that story. 
It's an ineluctable death, but a death that bears love. So to remember who we are in the face of evil, to remember who we are in the face of crisis is to say we have love in us. And we are people of radical love. Can you say that? We are people of radical love. This is who we are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Look at each other in their faces and your eyes. And see that loving humanity. I began, I said, you are so beautiful. I'm overwhelmed by the radical love in this room. Thank you.